They all shower sitting down in Japan. No, they don't. We, they do. Well, they're shorter. This is oh, yeah, oh. yuzu marinated hirame, or fluke, fluke. One bite, no soy sauce. Wow. Wow. Oh, oh my God. This is great. Look this at this. This looks, wow. Look at that. It's amazing, isn't it? Itadakimasu. Enjoy. Thank you, Moenaga-san. Dude, thank you so much for taking me here. I've never had sushi like this before. This is insane. I'm so glad you came. This is a very yeah. special restaurant, so it's, yeah. a, so it's an experience. So what are we, like, all right, so I'm watching this kind of Japanese couple oh, over no, here. No, yeah, I think, I think they're Korean. How do you know? <laughs> do you... Yeah, I mean, you can, they can see the way they're eating. Uh, it's, they do it all differently there. It's, oh. Yeah, it's, it's not right. It's all wrong. Oh, I see. Yeah, I hate to say yeah. I don't mean to sound rude, but um, no, no, no. I it's mean, just wrong. Well, you would know. You would know. All right, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a shot. Here we okay. go. Okay, okay. Yeah, pop her in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Here we go. Oh, oh my! <laughs> wow! God! There it is. That's fluke. It's amazing. This it, is fluke. I've never. It's so smooth. It's like butter. It's like. It's rich. It's, it's rich like really butter. rich. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they say that actually. Um, oh, have the Japanese ever done anything wrong like ever? Well, there was the rape of Nanking. Oh. So, that happened. Right. Yeah. You're listening to Bricolage. Truth, comedy, politics. With your host, Lev. On this episode of Bricolage, my wife shares a poem. I pay tribute to a friend of the podcast who recently passed away. We meet an unconventional sommelier, and I chat with my friend Lindsay, a New Jersey millennial mom with an infamous birthday. Plus, trivia with Josh Ellis. But first, sponsors. This episode of Bricolage is brought to you by Uncle Barry's Bar Trivia, 9 p.m. every Wednesday, Park Slope, Brooklyn, just south of the Barclays Center. Also, by Business Class on Amtrak. Is it worth the money? No. Finally, this episode of Bricolage is brought to you by the Snooze Button. Go ahead, press it again. You'll go to the gym this afternoon, or tomorrow, or never. The Snooze Button, a lifetime full of regret in nine-minute increments. Hey. Wake the fuck up, asshole. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the poetic stylings of Mrs. Bricolage. This is a poem I wrote about a friend of mine who passed away. And um, her passage kind of changed my life and how I think about everything. It isn't life, but how to live that you get to choose. I can't shake the feeling that something to hold on to is something to lose. I was at a wedding when I heard too late the news that Eliza was married in a hospice bed. It isn't life, but how to live. That's what you get to choose. But what do you do when all the future feels like a ruse? Enjoy the moment, they say. Don't they know? Something worth holding on to is something to lose. What used to be a trickle of doubt and fear now spews. What used to be an errant fly buzzing is now a constant ringing in my ear. 
It isn't life, but how to live. That's what you get to choose. How do you go back when you've seen something true? What if you don't want anything worth holding? Because something to hold on to is something to lose. Nothing works like it used to, not the body or the booze. I can't shake the feeling. How do I shake this feeling? It isn't life, but how to live. That's all you can choose. Something to hold on to is also something to lose. I recently learned that a good friend of mine, Mike Gabaldon, passed away. He was a friend of mine from when I lived in Los Angeles, but we stayed in touch. He was a fan of bricolage. I I don't know why. Um, Maybe that's what killed him. Um, But uh, he was was a a really affable, really funny, gregarious guy and um, was always giving me really cool interesting, funny, smart feedback on the comedy stuff I was doing on life. He was a, a ruminator and a thinker and uh, I miss him. And the thing that made sense to me was to uh, try to make a sketch that I thought he would like. And so I worked with our mutual friend, Ryan. Ryan's actually the guy who introduced me to Mike. Um, so Ryan plays Mike in this sketch and uh, I play me. Um, it's true that we really did go golfing and uh, we would sort of riff with each other like this. So um, this one's for you, Mike. And uh, for anybody who knew you and um, I, uh, I hope you're laughing at it somewhere. Exterior, Los Angeles golf course. Two 20-something ne'er-do-wells, Lev and Jeezy, carry golf bags and approach the 18th tee box. Okay, so it's tied going to the 18th and you're shooting first. Yeah, let's do it. Just like his sex life, Gabaldon has left three holes in a row unfulfilled and he is pathetically and pathologically unable to finish. Boy, that's pretty sad, huh, Jim? Leventhal hasn't had sex since the first Gulf War. His penis is so small and neglected, child services shows up to his house regularly. (laughs) Okay, are you going first? Let's go. Hit the ball. Gabaldon steps up to the tee box on 18. The green is flanked by an 18th century historic clubhouse and a babbling brook. This was once the private hole of Winston Donaldson IV. Wow. That's impressive, Bob. The private holes you normally talk about are in the men's bathroom stalls of Sizzler. Watch and learn. Oh, it looks good. Boom! How did you cue up a sound effect? As the crowd's applause subsides, the only sound anyone can hear as Leventhal steps up to the tee box on the 18th is the sound of his clenched rectal muscles. Uh, okay. (laughs) This is the sound of my butt? Okay. Hope Leventhal brought his diapers today because that IPS might finally be catching up with him. Wow. I played JV golf, so just shut up. I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and do this and yeah. Oh my. Fuck. Do I get a mulligan? And the patented Leventhal choke strikes again. A story we've seen countless times and never disappoints. His golf scores are the opposite of his IQ. Quite high. While his intellect is somewhere down near the depths of his saggy, disgusting balls. Very low. Great. The only thing Mike wouldn't have liked about that sketch is the idea that he and I would ever have been tied in golf. (laughs) 
Love you, Mike. Time for Blackout Trivia with Josh Ellis. Now here's the question. The city of Bend, Oregon is home to the sole remaining location of what chain of stores, which at its peak in the early 2000s had over 9,000 locations. Once again, Bend, Oregon is home to the sole remaining location of what chain of stores, which at its peak in the early 2000s had over 9,000 locations. My guest on this episode is my friend Lindsay. We first met in the summer of 2002, just before we started college, and I remember thinking she had a great laugh. The kind of laugh that makes people like me want to make other people laugh for a living. It's really easy to get Lindsay to laugh. Lindsay Farkas. Yeah, that's me. That's you. So today is September 11th, 2018, when we're recording this, in addition to being 17 years after the horrific terrorist attacks of 9-11, it's also your birthday. Yes, I've doubled my age since 2001. It's very surreal. We've been alive the same amount of time since 9-11 that we were on the day of 9-11. Yes, me literally to the day. What do you remember from that day? And was it weird? Were you planning for a cake? Like, what was happening? Did you bring munchkins to school? Like, Okay, so in New Jersey, where I grew up and still now reside, came back to, I should say, you get your license on your 17th birthday. And it is a big friggin' deal, especially when, you know, you're the younger kid in your class. So, like, all my friends all had gotten their licenses, most of them junior year of high school. I'm now a senior, one of the last ones to get it. Could not friggin' wait that it was finally my turn. And everyone goes to the DMV in the morning, takes their driver's test, and then comes back to school in their car, drives to school, and, you know, has the school day with their friends or whatever. So I was so freaking amped, so nervous, like, please don't mess up your three-point turn and parallel park, whatever. So I was in the car waiting to take my driver's test, and I had gone with my driving instructor because I practiced, you know, all my stuff on his car. So he was with me, and he's like, you know, let's just turn on the radio. You're a little tense, seem a little nervous. It's like 8 45. So he's in the like, should we put on Elvis Duran yeah, in the morning yeah, exactly. zoo? Let's put on C100. Let's C-100. put on C100 and calm this poor. Let's do some tunes. High school senior down. And what happened? And you turn on C100 that early on. No one, all we had heard was that a plane flew into one of the towers. No one knew that it was a terrorist even at that point because the second one hadn't hit the other tower. But it was just very confusing and chaotic. And, you know, I will say in hindsight, I was a selfish 17-year-old. So I was like, do I still get to take my test? Like, what's going on? (laughs) (laughs) And I did, thankfully for me, I guess, at that age. Wait, so you took the driver's test while one of the towers burned? Yeah. And the second tower was hit while you were, like, parallel parking? I can't remember the time frame of it. If the second plane had already hit by the time I took my test. But anyway, something like that. Like, I knew that shit was going down, and I still my driver's test. I'm pretty sure I messed up the parallel parking, but I don't think that guy was going to fucking fail me. He must have seen the despair and had pity on me. Right. This poor guy's like, oh my God. Right. Yeah. Why am I judging a 17 year old girl's parking? There's like a mass grave site being created 10 miles away. I mean, to this day, I still cannot parallel park. Like, <laughs> Jordan, <laughs> Jordan's like, you are just hopeless at it. 
I did pass the test. And did you go to school? Well, I went home first and my mom was a wreck, obviously. I was watching the live footage. I remember watching the Today Show at home and we were just, we were really nervous because my sister, my oldest sister at the time, she had just graduated from college actually. So she was commuting into the city for her first job out of college. So we were really worried about her and being in the city and how she was going to get out of there. And I think I did go to high school because at one point my mom was just like, get out of the house. You're, you, you know, like uh, it was, we were just kind of going stir crazy. I went to try to go see my friends so they could at least wish me happy birthday and everyone was leaving. So I pull up to high school. I'm like, here I am. You're like, hi, everybody. Is there something you want <laughs> right. to say to me? Or? Look at my cool new <laughs> And everyone's like, why are you here? What's wrong with you? Haven't you heard? <laughs> right. And so the, like in hindsight, all this sounds like so just like, right. I mean, I mean, it I is. Like it's I sound trite, but, but that's kind of what that day put into perspective. I yeah, mean, uh, and, and like I said, like no one really knew so early on like what was going on. There was just so much confusion. Yeah, I mean, I haven't really said this. I haven't really told this story to anybody, but I was in between second and third period. For the listener, both Lindsay and I were seniors in high school, if that's not clear yet. I was in between second and third period on my way to gym class, possibly in between third and fourth period. Don't quote me on it. I passed a friend in the in the hallway and he was like a plane hit the twin towers and i didn't know that it was a commuter plane or that it was going to take them down or any of that and what i said was wow these guys really need to learn to fly i had the same thought like, too like what the hell is wrong with these people right like and these then i air remember traffic controllers must have really fucked up somewhere. yeah i like was making jokes about it i remember this teacher who i don't really i don't remember who it was but i remember like i sort of knew her but she was not somebody that i had ever like had a class with was like don't make that joke that's not funny go to class and i was like all right lady like settle down what's what's up her butt and then we got to gym class and our physical education teacher mr who was not what i would call a road scholar was basically like there's been a big attack. You're going to know people. This is very serious. Very sad. You know, and it kind of like seeing this guy who was like this very kind of boisterous, joyful person try. I mean, who could do this? But specifically for him, try to articulate what had just happened to a bunch of like shell-shocked and clueless in countless ways, clueless 17-year-olds in like suburban privilege. It was crazy to think about. Like, yeah. I'm sure he tells that story now. Like, I had to get up in front of these kids like can you imagine yeah and, and, and suburban privilege is exactly what i would call my experience of it i, I was an immature 17 year old and you, this is the day you know you were looking forward to and it's clearly not that and it's a day that instead lives in infamy and you're like well i got short under the stick to say the least you know it was pretty sad and it was also like i said before it was pretty nerve-wracking with my sister being in Manhattan that day. I feel like baby boomers always compare 9-11 to the JFK assassination, or at least my parents did. Like, my mom is always like, I remember, I remember where I was. I was sitting in math class. They came over the loudspeaker. They said President Kennedy was shot. Like, my mom talks about it that way. Like, it's really not comparable at all. Like, no. It, and I'm not, I'm not saying that to trivialize George W. Bush at all, or any of the presidents in our life. Lifetime, but it's like only because specifically we lived in New York, like we all had friends who had parents who were down there. Some of us had, right. 
you know, friends who had cousins who died or, you know, there's everybody has a connection to something or someone. And it's just so fundamentally different from the Kennedy assassination. Like they're trying to say, oh, it's like this big defining moment, which is fair, but it's just so clearly different in so many ways, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, I still just talking about it, I just get the chills. By the way, when we started recording, I didn't note this, but it was 9-11 p.m. I don't know if that means like That's not so. Beetlejuice is going to show up or whatever. I don't know what that means. What's really weird, I don't know. I, I find all the time that I look at clocks exactly at 9-11. I don't know. It, it must be in my head somewhere in the background. Like I know I just looked at the clock 10 minutes ago and it was 9-01. I don't know why I always catch 9-11. Is that weird anyway I feel like 9-11 stories is like when we start talking about them like it comes up every now and then it's like a really good way to get to know somebody who's our age because you get a lot of insight into who that person is where they were on that day obviously like factual objective stuff but also like you can't help but express emotion when talking about it especially if you were fearful of friends or family yeah and I also just think the time in our lives that we've experienced it in you know our last year of high school and then going into college like I vividly remember 9-11-2002 you and I were freshmen at WashU and I remember being in the quad at the memorial service that we had there and I remember this feeling of like wow like for me like my birthday will never be the same this is it you know for the rest of my life this will always be a a day of mourning Mm -hmm. I don't remember going to that memorial was I there I don't know I was probably 420 Uh, (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm trying to make jokes about 9-11. That's another thing that I think is helpful and important. But I think 17 years later, I think you can make 420 jokes. I'm trying to keep the podcast light also. But, you know, so that's what I do. I wake up in the morning now on my birthday and I pretty much every year turn on the TV and I have my moment of like, yeah, that this freaking sucks. Like that was terrible. And then I just kind of move on and I get, you know, enjoy my day as much as I can. I actually just recently met someone whose son was born on 9-11-2002, so the year after. So it's like, I can't imagine what it was like being in labor in the hospital, like on the year after, and all the nurses and the doctors are like, are you sure you can't hold out for another couple hours? Like, right. Well, I can't imagine. I'm sure there were people who gave birth on that day in New York. Oh, yeah. There were plenty of them. Yeah. But now it's like for anyone who is due around that time, you better believe that they're trying to like hold out or get induced before then. They don't want their kids to have that birthday. You think so? Do you feel that it's like the Friday the 13th or there's some like spooky, ethereal kind of jinx? or? Yes, totally. And it's also just by the virtue of the fact that everyone calls it 9-11. Right. The attack on the World <laughs> right. Trade Center on America. It's called 9-11 by the date. Well, this is in no way comparable, but in order to make you feel better, I'll share it. I was born on May 4th, a.k.a. May, May the, 4th, the 4th, 4th, but I fucking hate Star Wars, and I'm so <laughs> fed up with this shit. These people need to get a life. I You shouldn't assume that I like that overrated piece of schlock just because <laughs> I was born on that day. Like People don't come up to you and they're like, hey, 9-11, that's pretty cool. I guess <laughs> no, it's exactly. They definitely do not. But yeah, I could see that getting annoying if you're not a Star Wars fan, which I'm not either, incidentally. Every year, I can't help myself. I have to watch the like 9-11 tragic documentary porn stuff that they run. Like I can't, like these stories of redemption and bravery and heroism, like it's so 
I cannot not I watch them. Do you I watch know. them, we or watch, is it just yes, like we I don't want to ruin ESPN my birthday? Today. The footage of the documentaries about the baseball game, you know, like in the days after this. Remember the World Series that the Yankees played in? Mm-hmm. They lost, right, to the Diamondbacks. I think. They lost to the Diamondbacks. Yeah, that's right. But Jeter had that play in the ALDS or ALCS on like the relay from the outfield where he like ran in between the pitcher's mound and the catcher and like caught it and flipped it and they got mm-hmm. they threw the guy out and also W threw the like perfect strike right. to home. Listen, yep. say what you want about George W. Bush and Barack Obama. This is a political podcast, I guess, but George W. Bush definitely throws a strike better than Obama. He seems yes. like he's more of a baseball guy. Yeah. Obama is a basketball guy, right? Yes. This all feels like vaguely veiled racism, but that's <laughs> definitely not our attempt. I think it's just objective fact yeah. that um, I mean W owned a baseball team. Obama like used to have like pickup games and stuff. Court, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're not racist, said the two white people. <laughs> this is just fact. You're watching Scotty the Sommelier. Most sommeliers are sophisticated and wise, but not Scotty. Scotty the Scotty the Sommelier is a production of WPOS, Ohio Public TV. And now, Scotty the Sommelier. Hey, how's it going, winos? The sponsor's caved, so we're back for another episode, and here I am with my new co-host, number seven, if I'm not mistaken. This one's named Diana. Hey, Diana. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. As I like to say, it's one o'clock somewhere. Great. Today we're going to be trying three new wines. First up is a New Zealand Gewürztraminer from Hawke's Bay. Listen to that. Ooh, I can really smell this little lady opening up. Has a very interesting aroma. Like, lots of unique stuff going on. Yeah, it's funky. Like a bottle of fish sauce with vaginosis. You know, my ex-wife promised she'd be Gewürztraminer forever. (laughs) The judge disagreed. (laughs) Let's give it a shot. What do you think, Diana? Delicious, very light. Yes, so light. It's like my apartment since my ex took all the furniture. Next up, we have an Argentinian Malbec from Salta. Once again, Diana, what do you think? I'm really loving this one, Scotty. There's like blackberries, there's even chocolate, I think. And it's so delicious. I totally agree, Diana. Have you ever raw-dogged a supermodel? That's what this wine tastes like to me. This is the kind of Malbec you want to leave the rubbers in the drawer for. (laughs) Oh, ew. This is disgusting. I'm out of here. Not very ladylike, are we, Diana? She's really gone, though. All right. 
looks like it's just me doing this solo. That's why my right hand has such bad arthritis, by the way. <laughs> Finally, we have a Moroccan Carignan from Zemmour in the Casablanca region. This is a truly special, one-of-a-kind wine. The grapes are massaged by schoolchildren after morning prayers. Prior to fermentation, they are wrapped and tied up with citrus and fennel, using magnum condoms into which feral horses have ejaculated. Mmm. Tastes the way my marriage ended. Salty. Time for Brickerize Trivia Answers with Josh Ellis. The question was, the city of Bend, Oregon is home to the sole remaining location of what chain of stores, which, at its peak in the early 2000s, had over 9,000 locations? The answer is Blockbuster Video, whose refusal to offer pornography definitely had nothing to do with its demise. You grew up in North Caldwell, New Jersey, and I seem to remember you telling me that the intro sequence to The Sopranos was filmed in your neighborhood. Well, the, the whole show was filmed, not the whole show, but like it's set in North Caldwell. Tony Soprano's house is in North Caldwell, a physical house. And on the show, like they alluded to his town that he lived in North Caldwell. So yeah, we are Tony Soprano's hometown. Does that mean you grew up around some of the real version of that? Yes, I did. I'm sure you cannot and don't want to talk about that but like what was that like i i like my life so yes i, I mean did it. you was it just like an unspoken secret you didn't talk to that person or this person the wrong way or like you didn't yeah. make the wrong joke yeah. about the yeah, kind of i mean you know we had just like a lot of wise guys sons that you know they're, they're Dads worked in sanitation or construction. And yeah, it was just kind of the unspoken word that they were connected. Connected. Wow. New York yeah. Telephone. Yeah. I was at Masa. Do you know Masa? It's like the super fancy sushi place in the Time yeah. Warner Center in Columbus yeah, yeah, Circle. Yeah. And we were sitting at like the counter and this dude and his like blonde wife who was like 20 years younger was there and he was talking to the chef, Masa, who's like an international renowned chef like he was like the bus boy at Denny's and uh, he I mean he was like friend, he wasn't rude in like a, you're an idiot or you're not worth my time rude but he was just like boorish and, uh, and then he started, like, trying to talk to my fiancé and I. And, you know, he was like, oh, where are you guys from? Is this your first time here? Blah, 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 you know. And then he he asked me what we, like, what do you guys do? And, or no, he didn't ask that. I think somehow we started talking about law. Then he was, like, asking us about politics. And he was, like, very clearly an ardent Trump supporter. Then I said to his wife, like, oh, what do you do during the day? And he cut her off. And he's like, she's a house housewife. She takes care of my Oof. kids, something like that. And I was like, oh boy. And I was like, well, if you don't mind me asking, sir, what, what do you do? And he like took a sip of his beer and like looked down and looked around and then looked up at me. No eye contact, but just kind of looked up at me. Can't really describe this, but hopefully that makes sense. And goes, 
I'm a plastic surgeon. And I can promise you, Lindsay, this gentleman did not attend medical school. I, I am, I'm pretty confident of that. He doesn't give a fuck. He's never going to see you again in his life. He could be an astronaut for all he <laughs> Maybe he get. is an astronaut. Maybe I'm like being racist against Italian-Americans. That's two strikes of racism for me. <laughs> you should put a nice little thing effect. Yeah, that. that's a great idea. So... Okay, I'm going to segue in a big way. Yeah. You're one of my first friends to have children, and you now have two. So I was wondering if you would tell the faithful bricolage listener about them. Don't do it. No, I'm kidding. That's a terrible thing to way to open. My kids are wonderful. Let me start there on the positive. I'm just being sarcastic because we, Jordan and I make that joke that kids, you know, take away your life to a certain degree, which they do, but they make it so much richer and so much better. So I've got a daughter who's three and a half, a son who's one and a half. My daughter, Izzy, she's really precocious, adorable little chick, and she, uh, she likes to boss us around. She's very talkative. She was called the mayor of her classroom by one of her preschool teachers last year, which I loved. Just made me smile to no end. You know, it's a funny thing when you become a parent. You love nothing more than to hear other people say nice things about your kids, especially their teachers. And I'm smiling ear to ear, grinning in any parent-teacher conference I go to. Obviously, I'm going to encounter ones where they have to tell me real shit about areas where my children can stand to approve. And I'm, I can handle that stuff too. But when you hear someone say nice or cute, things about your children. It just, as a parent, it's like the best thing in the world. So that's Izzy. Nate, my little guy, is uh, currently a maniac. He is what my parents call a whirling dervish, which I don't know <laughs> why I understand what that term means because I have no idea what a dervish is per se, but I think you understand what that means, right? What is a dervish? Uh, I don't know, like a weather event? I have no idea. Is I have like no a, idea, but like when you animal? say whirling dervish, don't you know exactly what I mean? Yeah, like a, a chaotic ball of something. Of energy, right? I gotta look this up at some point. Well, Lens, I went ahead and looked it up for both of us. A dervish is a member of a Muslim religious order noted for devotional exercises such as bodily movements leading to a trance. They perform a religious dance called the Sema in order to express emotion and achieve the wisdom and love of God. The dance comes from the Islamic sect of Sufism which is apparently like the mystical version of Islam. I guess think the Kabbalah but without all the celebrities. No surprise given that organized religion is involved. Girls are excluded. Only boys can perform the Sema. So basically Basically, a sophisticated non-Western religious ritual intended to foster a personal relationship between its participants and Allah has become synonymous in Western culture with manic, youthful, lunatic vigor. I suspect we might understand whirling dervishes differently if only Jesus did the Sema. But that's what he is. He gets into everything right now. He's so curious. He finds, like, the outlet and puts his finger in it or tries to put something else in it. <laughs> bumping into stuff all the time. <laughs> we wonder with him a little bit. Like, is he all right? You know, is he eating lead that we're unaware of or something like that? But no, I think he's just a boy. He's just very active, but he's so, he's so stinking cute. And him and his sister get along? They do at times. Right. They don't at that other sounds, times. Yeah, I think that's normal. Right? Yeah. I mean, you know, kids at that age, they don't, they don't know how to share per se. As my preschool director once corrected me, it's not about teaching them how to share. It's about teaching them to take turns. It's not necessarily age or development appropriate for them to understand what it means to share. But if you can tell them you get to have it and then Sally gets to have it, then they can understand this idea of going back and forth, back and forth, taking turns. What was the biggest surprise for you when you and Jordan 
became parents? I think the biggest surprise was probably that we were never going to see sleeping past eight o'clock in the morning again. Those days were just gone. Like the weekend, just stay in bed until your heart's content. That just does not happen anymore. And why was that a surprise? That seems pretty obvious. Not that I've like thought about it. And now I'm like, my heart is shuddering and I'm crying on the inside for you. And it is so obvious. I just think it's one of those little things you don't realize or you're just not focused on or thinking about until you're like, whoa, yeah, bye-bye weekends. You know, like if I want to go out on a weekend, night and you get the sitter and you're all ready to go out and have a few drinks and have a good time, which we still do plenty of. Like you don't have the next day to be lazy and just stay in bed all day. Like those kids are getting out. They don't care one way or another. Like if you've had five tequilas. Right. So the mornings start with a boom, no matter what. Yeah. I mean, if we get our kids to stay in bed until 730, we are thrilled over the moon on a weekend. How many times a month do you want to murder one of your children? Times a month or times a day? Seriously? No, I'm kidding. Um, I would say about six to eight times a month. Really? Each? Yeah. Yeah. Each Each child. They're in really difficult years right now. And I know that they're pretty much until you get your kid to four, I think, or maybe four and a half. They are terrible in some ways. I'm starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel with my daughter. But like the thing is now needs going into it, you know? So we're in a little bit of a a rough stretch with them. But the thing is, is that like you don't want to wish these years away because then they're going to get older and you're going to ask them for a hug and a kiss and they're like no get away from me they're not going to want to hang out with you and all my kids want to do right now is be around me and it's the sweetest and the cutest thing when you take a step back and think about it and that's going to change so you got to just embrace it is there anything about becoming a parent or the years or months immediately before you became a parent that you regret doing or regret not doing i think i regret not traveling to more exotic places before i had kids because because Jordan and I are fortunate enough and both of our sets of parents are great. have been help us, helping us out so we could take a couple trips here and there. But like, you don't want to go to Asia when you've got little kids. You don't want to leave them, first of all, for that long or be that far away. Where is it that you want to go? Is it Asia? Where in Asia? No, I, I mean, I haven't been to Asia. <laughs> yeah, so anywhere, you know, like even like lots of places in Europe, I haven't been. Europe, I guess, is a little bit more accessible from the East Coast, but just in general, you know, like now also when I do have free time or the ability to travel and get away just through night, all we want to do is go to like a beach and just like relax. So it's not like we're necessarily up for being more adventurous. Not right now. I think that'll change as our kids get older, but yeah. So I think that that's one big regret that probably Jordan and I would share. I know I'm a cisgendered man, (laughs) so this may be a difficult conversation to have, but my Uh mom once said that she could never use a breast pump because she felt like a cow getting its udders pulled. (laughs) I wonder if you'd be willing to talk about that. You want me to talk about how? As a dude, I'm. I just like. I don't. I don't even know how that could. I can't fathom what it's like to feel like a source of food. Yeah, it, it's pretty surreal. It really is. But it's awesome. And listen, it works amazingly for some women, and some women can't do it. So, like, if you can do it, and you want to do it, and you love doing it, then you do it, and you don't really think about those kind of like actualities, you know, like that I am a cow, but (laughs) there uh, definitely are some funny moments that I can recall trying to multitask while being attached to a breast pump and like mishaps that have happened. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But I'm sure you were looking graceful and lovely when they happened. (laughs) 
<laughs> you sure about that? No, but I actually will. I will tell one story that I think it was like the, one of the first times that I used the breast pump with my daughter. The first time I had a baby. And so the first milk that comes in is this really thick, like it's not a lot, first of all, and it's called colostrum. And it's like a milkshake. No, <laughs> I don't, uh, it's like yellowy, thick, oh, wow. really fatty. That stuff is actually really good for the babies. They say so. You want to give it to them, but I kind of I wanted to make sure that my milk supply came in. So I was like trying to pump it out to try to get the milk to come in after that. So I pumped and like this colostrum like came at whatever it is. It's sitting on in a jar on the table in my bathroom <laughs> after. And I had to get a chance to put a lid on it. I turned around. I knocked it over and I started to cry. <laughs> and you, they call it pure gold. Don't cry over spilled colostrum. Boy, I really can't wait to have kids, Lynn. Yeah, right. Not that it's difficult for me. What the fuck do I have to do? Do you ever find Jordan taking credit for things where it's like all you had to do was had sex, dude. Like you didn't do anything. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. But also what I will say too in general about like childbirth and stuff. So we did this class, this woman that teaches a childbirthing class and she does it on the Upper East Side and she is, you have to do it. If kids are ever in your future and you're expecting, I insist that you go to her class. It's three classes. Her name is Sherry Bayless and she is freaking corny as hell, but hysterical and all the husbands or the significant other spouses are obsessed with her. There was a funny moment, I won't forget, when I was in labor with Izzy where he tried to tell the doctor that I wasn't ready for the epidural yet because of what Sherry had said that you really don't want to get the epidural until she's at least five centimeters because it could stall the childbirth and I was like three or four but in so much fucking pain and he's like no we're not ready for it we want to get to five and I was like Jordan you shut the fuck up (laughs) (laughs) so at some point you've mentioned to me that like millennial moms are like a whole new sort of species of crazy or whatever the correct adjective would be is. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, it's just, it's intense. I will say everyone's got their own freaking opinion about stuff, which is, I mean, not necessarily limited to millennial moms, but what I would say is that like, there's lots of judginess going around and there's Facebook groups that have had to be shut down or police have been involved to settle disputes that it's like, dude, everyone <laughs> just chill the fuck out. Have you and Jordan gotten into any fights or like arguments with other parents? Not necessarily outright where we're fighting with them, but there's certainly, yeah, like there's moms that do, and dads that do crazy weird shit. And, you know, I will commend the dads these days are definitely a lot more involved than your father or I father certainly was. Jordan always likes to remind me that he doesn't think his dad ever changed the diaper. And Jordan has. But yeah, there's in the oversharing of everything. It's like, I don't know. Actually, I have a question for you. This is a good question. As someone who's not a parent, how do you feel about people posting photos of their kids constantly? Like every time your kid takes a dump, (laughs) there's a photo posted. (laughs) Well, first off, I am a father of like 130 kids all over the United States. I just haven't acknowledged paternity. But um, (laughs) no, you know, I don't. Yeah. I mean, my fiance and I talk about it. We're basically of a couple minds on it. One is like, oh my God, that like really is cute. But then also like if you start your own like fucking Instagram TV, like if you start like there's a line. I don't know what the line is. I'm really not sure. And ultimately, if the kid is cute enough, I think you can blur that line pretty well. I personally won't say right now like, oh, I won't do that or I won't do that more than I should. But like, who knows? Mm-hmm. 
after I have a kid, I'll probably like you know be forcing it to put on an Islanders jersey and like learn Bob Dylan lyrics. Like who the hell knows? You know what I mean? That's one thing. You could ask Izzy what her favorite Jerry Garcia song is and what her favorite Grateful Dead song is, and she'll have a response to both of those things. I guarantee you that was not of her own making. But the oversharing of like photos of your kids and how wonderful they are, and assuming that everyone else cares so much about that. But it's not even really. I feel like social media isn't really about what other people think anymore at this point. It's almost like a self diary. But it's an edited self diary. It's obviously a highly curated, dishonest diary. But it's the best version of the diary that you'd like to present publicly. Right. But there's a value to you five years from now. I mean, if it makes you happy to look back five, 10, 15, 20 years from now and see, you know, exactly what your kid was doing, who am I to begrudge that? Like, I mean, you're the internet is as much yours to abuse as it is mine or a Russian bot. I see the other extreme where some parents will not let their children face appear on social media anywhere. Because they're afraid of being marketed to and the AI to recognize the face. Yeah. yeah, I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> You're like, yes, there are crazy people everywhere. There, there are, really. I think it's a little extreme, but I kind of understand that. One time I was in Amsterdam in a cafe, and I took a photo of my friend, and this guy in the background of the photo came over, and he was like, delete that photo. You got to delete that photo. I'm very observant of this, like, religion. Like, I can't be photographed or something. So there's people, I don't know, different strokes, different folks. You know what I mean? Yeah. But he was probably nuts also. I'm sure he was. But listen, to that end, are we all a little nuts? We are all definitely a little nuts, including your children, your husband, you, me, my fiance, our parents, all of the above. Everybody is a little bit crazy, no doubt about that. But I want to thank you for the extraordinary thing that you've done, which is tear yourself away from your children for almost an hour to talk to me, not only on a school night, not only on 9-11, but on your birthday, Lynn. So thank you so much for doing that. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. Can't imagine a better way to end my birthday than <laughs> talking to one of my favorite humans. Any final words of wisdom? Potty training is a beast. <laughs> I think that's a great way to end this. <laughs> eight millimeter, eight ball, eight mile, eight days a week, eight episodes, living the Ocho Loco. Was your driver's test interrupted by an act of terrorism? Have you ever spilled colostrum? Do you regularly perform the SEMA? Email podcastbricolage at gmail.com and tell me about it. It's winter in New York and seasonal depression is real. Email me, please. This has been Bricolage, created and hosted by Lev. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. Theme song, sponsor song, and trivia song written by Alex Schiff. Special thanks to Lucas Harvey, Liz Stork, and Ryan Malleus. Creative Commons Attribution credits are in the text description of each episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please subscribe on iTunes and leave us a good review on the internet. And if you didn't, that's super weird because your mom kept saying how much she liked it last night at the Red Roof Inn under the freeway.